0: Obviously, if you watch most weeks, and I hope you are, I start out at the podium, then I go to the screen, sort of work my way back and forth uh, during uh, the message. But I wanted to start at the screen today because we're starting a brand new series. It's going to go for three weeks. I'll say more about that in just a moment. And we're calling this series, Isn't It Time? You know, there's always a lot of people working behind the scenes that you never get a chance to see or to meet are to thank them for the great job i thought the guys did a great job on the graphic that you just saw now part one this is what we're going to be talking about Uh, it's time to get to work and we're going to be looking at this and i'm glad you're with us thank you for being uh with us today we're starting a brand new message series and i want to just say before we get into the heart of it i am so ready to be back in live services i'm just telling you i am Every week, you know this by now, every week I speak to empty seats. Now, I know you're watching, and I'm glad that you're watching, but I speak to empty seats, and there's only a few people that are in this building right now, and it's the guys that work with sound and lighting. Otherwise, this place is completely empty. In fact, I've said to a lot of people, I don't know that I was funny before, maybe I was, maybe I wasn't, but I don't feel like I'm funny at all. Even when I tell something uh, that I think is funny, I don't hear any laughter. We're all so spaced apart, the uh, the Sound and Lighting guys in here, that when they laugh, I can't even hear them, and I can't hear you. Maybe you're still laughing, so uh, I'm ready to be with live people again, and as I mentioned, hopefully we're going to be able to do that really, really soon. Now, have you ever been a part of a message series out of this small, little bitty, tucked away Old Testament book called Haggai. Uh, I never have been before, and uh, perhaps you've not either. Well, all of that is about to change because starting today, part one, and then the next two weeks, uh, we're going to be into this study. I want to encourage you, would you take just a moment because they may miss uh, two or three minutes or so, but go ahead and share this uh, service with somebody right now. Or if you say, well, you know, I can't share it with them, text them, call them real quick and just say, hey, I think, I think that this is going to be a service that's going to be really helpful to you. Uh, Pastor Jeff's going to be talking about one of the minor prophets, and you may be feeling a little bit like a prophet right now, so you can say, hey, I think it's going to help you. You're prophesying that it's going to help them. Well, I hope that we're able to deliver on that. And we are going to talk about a prophet. Now, it is a fair question. If you're watching right now and you're saying, we're going to be talking about this Old Testament called the minor prophet. It's not even put in the category of the major prophets. By the way, let me speak to that. When you want to know the difference between a minor prophet and a major prophet, it has nothing to do. It's not like the major prophets are really important, and what they say is really important, and the minor prophets is just so-so. No, it really has to do with the volume of the book. When you're looking at the major prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and such, there, there's a lot more content. There's a lot more information. There's a lot more that's being said by the prophets. But then we get to the minor prophets, like um, Malachi or uh, as we're l- going to look at today, Haggai and some of the others, you know, Hosea, Joel, Amos, they're shorter. So, But I think it's a fair question for you to say, all right, what is this little book in the Old Testament that was written, by the way, you want to know how long ago it was written? About 2,500 years ago. Think about that. And it's a fair question for you to say, what is that old book that was written a long, long time ago, 2,500 years ago, have anything to do with my day-to-day life in modern society? That is a very fair question, and uh, I think, though, you're going to be surprised today and then next week and the week after that, that you're going to see that this book has a lot to do with your life today. So here's how we're going to get started. I'm going to give you a question. I'm going to raise a question, and then I'm going to give you some background to set up this book. And, uh, and then we're going to be into the heart of it. So, here's the question. Let's begin with a question. Uh, do you ever take a snapshot of your life and you say something like this, I really thought, I really thought that I would be at this stage in my life much further down the road. I really expected to be further down the road. Maybe you say, I expected to be further down the road uh, spiritually. I thought that by now I would be a great man or woman of God. I thought that I would be at a point where I never struggle with sin. I never struggle with temptation. I never struggle with thoughts. I never struggle with problems. And I just really thought that I would be at a place in my life where I was just like this super saint, this great man or woman of God. And yet I still struggle I, I want to be further down. And you know, we all know what that feels feels like. You know, you just feel like I've been a Christian now for this amount of time. I should never struggle. That's what we think with sin, the way that I still struggle with sin. But that happens to us all. So that's a common feeling. Maybe you're thinking, you know, by now I thought that I would be further down the road spiritually. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? By now I thought that I would be more successful. By now, I thought that I would be finished with school, but I'm still in school, and I'm still working hard. Or or, or I thought that by now I would have a job in the career field that I wanted to be in, and and yet what I'm doing right now with my job has nothing to do with my background or training. Or maybe you feel this way. I thought that by now I would have less bills to pay. I thought that I would have less debt to pay off. I thought that I would have more market. In my life, I thought that I would have more money tucked away in retirement. I thought that that would have happened in my life by now. Or, Or maybe you're thinking, I thought that by now I'd be further down the road. I thought that by now I would be married. Or I thought that by now I would be happily married. Or I thought that right now I would have kids. Or I, I, I thought that by now I would have nicer kids than the little brats that I have. Uh, you know, I thought that by now I'd be secure. I'd be courageous. I'd be satisfied. I'd be happy. And if you said yes to any of that, then you have a lot in common with the very people that Haggai is going to be used by God to speak to. So that's the question. Let me give you the background. Now, in order to capture the background, we've got to go all the way back to the days of Solomon. See, and I'll be quick here because our time will quickly move, and I've got a lot to share with you, and I'll do it quick. I know I'm from Georgia, and you think I can't talk quick, but I can when I need to, and today I need to, so I will. So the background, background back in the days of King Solomon. Uh, his father, Solomon's father, David, actually wanted to build a great temple, a house of worship for God. But God would not allow him to for various reasons, primarily because God said, you're a warrior, you're a man of much bloodshed, but I'm going to allow your son Solomon to be able to build you a temple. And Solomon was used by God to build this incredible, jaw-dropping, magnificent temple, house of worship to, to God. And it was, it was incredible. And people would come really, literally from around the world to see this temple that Solomon had built and to worship God there. And it was incredible. There was nothing like it. Well, if you fast forward in the story of Solomon, um, you know eventually he does, as all people do, and when he does, there 's a huge portion of people that they move into idolatry, and they begin to, they begin to worship idols, not the one true God, as his presence was manifested, his presence was manifested in solomon 's temple, but they begin to worship pagan idols, gods that did not even exist, and their hearts turn from God, and as a result, as their hearts turn from God. The heart of God becomes broken, and they bring upon them, quite honestly, a a, a reproach It's around 587 uh, BC that an invading king from another land comes into Judah. And what does he do? Uh, The city is demolished. The the houses where the people live demolished. Their schools, their businesses, demolished. The people are taken into captivity, and they will spend decades in in captivity. So businesses, homes, schools destroyed, demolished. Uh, They're taken into captivity, and this great think about this now, this great house of God, this great place of worship, Solomon's temple, is nothing more than smoldering ruins. I mean, that's that's what happens. It's nothing more than smoldering ruins. The people, as I mentioned to you, are taken into captivity and would spend years and years um in captivity. Well, sometime later, uh, the people, there's a, a little bit of a ray of hope because it's around actually, and I thought it was this date, but I just needed to confirm by looking at it, in 538 B.C. In 538 B.C., about 50,000 people are allowed to return to Judah, the capital city of, uh, or to Jerusalem, the capital city of, uh, of, of Judah. As they return, What they fully intend to do is to rebuild. Remember Solomon, when all of this goes down, um, you know, this invading king and country come in, um, you know, uh, they are are allowed to return the 50,000 people or so, and in their minds, here's what they're going to do, this great house of worship that's been devoted to God, Solomon's temple, we're going to rebuild that that is in their hearts. That's what they want to do. Uh, 50,000 of them. That's in their heart. So that's what they begin to set apart to do. They're going to rebuild. They're going to they're going to rebuild, they're going to restore uh you know this temple, you know the land that they've you know had to evacuate that they were taken captive from. So that's how they plan. Well, what happens is they begin to restore the temple There's another group of people that comes in where they are and they begin to oppose their work. They begin to halt progress. I mean, they're they're excited. They want to rebuild this place of worship for God. They've been longing about it. Why? They've been in captivity. They've been thinking about it just all of the time, and now they're back here. Now they're at the construction site. They're going to rebuild the temple, but then there's opposition and there's problems, and so can you imagine? Guess what they do for 14 years? They just stop. They get discouraged. They thought that they would be able to rebuild the temple uh, without any opposition, without any problems, without any challenges, but now they face challenge, and they walk away from rebuilding the temple, and for 14 years, 14 years, there is zero progress that's made at the construction site. You're not hearing any noises because no work is happening. Now, that's the background, and with that, uh, I want to pick up and share with you, uh, and we're going to pick up, actually, let's start at verse 2. I want you to see this on the screen. All right, so I shared with you what's going on, set us up for the verses that are going to follow. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the people that have returned back, the 50,000, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now, God has sent His prophet Haggai to call the people to go back to work. They are definitely on a different page from God. Their attitude is, the time has not yet come. That's what they're saying. Uh, they've thought about rebuilding the temple. Now they're bagged, and they have the opportunity to rebuild the temple. But again, as I mentioned to you, they faced unexpected difficulties. They faced opposition in trying to rebuild the temple. And so, they just sort of uh, summarize it: is well, the time has not yet come because we're faced with problems. And if we're going to do this, we shouldn't have any problems. God's plan, God's on a different page because His idea is this, isn't it time to get to work. And that's why he sends this prophet, this minor prophet by the name of Haggai, to tell the people that they need to get back to work. Now, I want to go ahead and do a timeout right here because I want want you to see how what we're talking about right now from a book written 2,500 years ago has everything to do with your life in mind. And here's where I want to make a parallel. This is crucially important, so I want you to please listen carefully. Whenever you attempt to do something for God, whenever you attempt to do something for God and you are met with opposition or difficulty or both, it does not mean that God isn't in it. Let me say that again because you may have missed it. Whenever you attempt to do anything for God, whenever you attempt to do anything that, are, that is going to advance the purposes of God, and in the process of that, you face challenge, you face problems, you face discouragement, you face opposition, that does not mean you can't just stop and say, well, you know, because I'm faced with these things, uh, you know, I, I just guess God's not in it. I guess I shouldn't be doing that. In fact, can I tell you, the exact opposite may actually be true. It's very likely that anything you seek to do good for God, anything that you want to accomplish for God, it will call out spiritual opposition. And one of the primary reasons why is the devil does not like it. You say, Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, you know, I haven't really shared my faith. I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven, but I'm not telling other people about Jesus. And you get determined to share your faith. And then you meet a little opposition, or not everybody is open the way that you thought that they were would be open, and you're met with difficulty, or maybe you're challenged by that. Uh, You could just say, well, you know what? Apparently, I shouldn't be doing that. I'm facing some opposition. Not everybody's as receptive as I thought that they should be. Therefore, God must not be in it. No. Uh, God is in it because God wants us to share our faith. Or you say, well, you know what? I want to have a consistent devotional life. I, I want to spend time with God. I want to get into God's Word. And you start out to do that, and then you're like, you know what? But here's my problem. My day gets so busy, so complex, and I feel like I need to have a consistent devotional life, and so I need to get it uh, in early. I want to spend that time before my day gets so crazy, and so you say, well, here's what I'm going to do, and you do good on day one, day two maybe, day three, but then day four, you're hitting the alarm clock, you're hitting the snooze button, and you're like, you know what, I missed it, I missed it, opposition, you know, I'm too tired to get up and have time with God, or I'm too tired at the end of the day to have time with God, whenever you choose to do it, and you just say, this is not easy, I thought it was going to be easier than that, and it's not, therefore, I think I'll just give up, this is not easy, what a huge mistake. We don't give up because it's easy. Or we say, you know what? I want to serve in a ministry. Or I'm going to start a Bible study at work. Or I'm going to start a small group when we're able to do that again. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tithe. I'm going to become a more generous person. And then you face some challenge. And you're saying, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. and we should. Or you say, well, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reject bitterness, and I'm going to extend forgiveness. Is that easy? No, that's not easy. But even though it's not easy, it doesn't mean that it's not the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Or, you know what, I'm going to help people in need. Or how about this one? I'm going to get out of debt. And you're saying, well, you know, I'm going to get out of debt, but it's not as easy. I thought, you know, by now I'd be out of debt, but I, or I thought that I would get into shape and it's not as easy to get back in shape as you thought it would be. And all I'm saying to you is this, please, please, please listen, never pull back from doing the right thing because cause of difficulty or because you face opposition. Let me say that again. Perhaps you didn't hear me. I want you to hear me. Never pull back from doing the right thing because you get discouraged or you face opposition. The right thing to do was to rebuild the temple of God, but they faced opposition, and what did they do? They walked away for 14 long years. I think this Old Testament book has a lot to do with our lives today. Let's go to verse 3. We're going to look at three verses here. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet. Here he is, Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, talking about his house, God's house, remains a ruin? Look at verse 5 right here. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. He's going to say this a couple of times. You'll see it in in a moment. I want you to see it give careful thoughts to your ways. Say that with me. Say it out loud. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Now, what is God saying here and what does this have to do with our life? Their timeline and their plans are different than the timeline and the plans of God. The two are not in sync. They're not congruent with one another. The word of the Lord, and you saw it a moment ago, is it time for you to be living in paneled houses? Now, you're wondering, like, what does that mean, paneled houses? Is that like the paneling that I remember having in my house? Is that what he's talking about? No, when you get into the research of that, you know, and God's saying, is it time for you to be living in your paneled houses? Now, this is because construction, as I mentioned to you, uh, because of opposition, because of discouragement, setback has ended. Fourteen years and so the people instead said, well, you know what? We've got opposition, restoring worship to God, so we're going to build our houses. When you do the research on this, uh, uh, s- scholars tell us that basically, as one writer said, this is, uh, this is essentially high-end living. Now, there's nothing wrong, and we don't need to miss the point. Nothing wrong with having a nice house. That's not what God is, is emphasizing. It's not that God didn't want him to have a nice house. If you've got a nice house, thank God for it because it's a blessing from God. If you have nice things, thank God, because those nice things are blessings from God. See, the problem is, and this is where this is so accurate for our lives today, the problem is not what do we have. The problem always comes back to this, what has us. It's not what do we own, but what owns us. Here's here's the dilemma that the people fell into that any of us can fall into. It's when we start putting other things ahead of God, and that can happen to any of us. When we put other things ahead of God. Was God okay with the fact that they had nice houses? No problem with that. That was not the issue. That was not the issue. I can remember a time when uh, our oldest son, when he got married, Brent, when Brent got married and you know bought their first home, I can remember walking into their living room and seeing the TV that he had on his wall. And I saw that. And you know what? I thought, how in the world can my son have a TV that big, which makes my TV look like a little bitty computer monitor? And I'm like, you know what? I've got to do something to correct that. Still haven't been able to correct it to this day. See, the problem is not, what do we have? The problem is what has us. The problem is not, do we have nice things? The problem is, is there anything that is getting in the way of God's purpose, God's plan? And that was the real issue. See, God wanted them, that's why he's saying it's time to get back to work. You say it's not time. And why were the people saying it's not time? They were saying it's not time because they faced discouragement. They faced pushback. They faced opposition, so in their mind, well, you know, God can't be in it because if God were in it, this would be easy. There are so many things that we're going to attempt to do for God that are not going to be easy. There are so many things, and God is saying, you do it anyhow. You get to work anyhow. Don't put anything ahead of me. I want to be first in your life. I want to be the priority of your life, and it's not always going to be easy doing what you're going to do for me. Now, I want you to look uh, real quickly at verse 6. Look at what is written here. You have planted, and you're going to see this, and you're going to think, wow, that's that's so like." You know, how could that have been written 2,500 years ago? But look at it. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages, look at this phrase, your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. What does that mean? What what is actually being stated here in verse 6 is something that a lot of us can identify with at times in our life or over our life. It seems that this verse was not written 2,500 years ago, but that it was written actually last week. The idea is here, you're busy doing lots of things, but you don't have anything to show for it. Have you ever felt that way? You're busy doing lots of things, but at the end of the day, what do you have to show for it? You continue to feel maybe empty or hollow or unsatisfied, and you know that there is something so much deeper, richer, better that you actually long for. And, you know, you eat, but not you don't feel satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You, you earn. You feel like you put it in your pockets, and they have holes in them. You just keep going, but there's nothing to show for it. Now, last two verses, and, and we're done. Our last two verses are really, really important. This is verses 7 and 8 of Haggai chapter 1. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now, look at these phrases. Give careful thoughts to your ways. I mentioned to you that God would say that twice in this passage, and He does. Give careful thoughts to your ways. And then look at what He says. Because He wants them to get back to work on His house to make sure that their worship and devotion to Him was a priority in their life. So, God says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber." and build my house. Look at this again. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Here we see the love of God. And you're saying, you know, it's the love of God here. It is replete all throughout this Old Testament book as it is throughout the Bible. Here's the love of God in action. You know what God could have done? God could have blasted them God could have blasted them just like he could any of us. How many of you are glad that you have not received what you deserve? I am. I raise both hands. If I got what I deserve, then I wouldn't be able to even be standing here right now. I mean, you and I have been the recipients of the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God, and God could have blasted them because they had moved off center from what should have been the priority of their life. And God could have blasted us for doing the same thing. But here's the love of God God could have given them something that was going to be complex, something that was going to be incredibly difficult to achieve, but God doesn't do it. He spells it out with utter simplicity. God says, here's what I want you to do. Go up into the mountains, bring down the timber, build my house. Just that simple. Three steps. This is not complicated. He's saying, you know what? I'm not laying out a complicated plan that is unachievable. Here's what you do. You go up into the mountains, you bring down the timber, and you build my house. You restore this place of worship. You restore me as the priority of your life. And we know that God extends beyond His presence, power beyond the building. But this was a place that represented the presence of God. It's where people would gather to worship God all the way back to the days of Solomon. I mean, decades ago. And God is saying, you know, here's what I want you to do it's not complicated. Three steps, that's all you need. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, build my house, build my house. And the people could have said, well, you know what? It's way too difficult. And God's like, no, it's really not. It's not that complicated. Go up into the mountains. But God, we've been faced with discouragement. We stopped because of opposition. And God's like, all right, you're not hearing me. Three steps, go up into the mountains, bring down the timber. But God, you know, discouragement can't be ousted from our life. You know, what are people come back who were opposing us God's like this is so simple go up into the mountains bring down the timber build my house can I tell you where this affects you and me see so many times we want God to give us the final outcome and oftentimes God does not when God talks to you about doing something he's not necessarily going to give you the final outcome you know what he's going to do I want you to hear this and really really important really important. And maybe you looked over and said, man, I got to sweep this kitchen and just forget about that. Well, I need to put dinner on. Forget about this. It's this so important. Listen, listen, listen. Many times what God is going to do when he leads us to do something, to get to work, to do something for him. Many times what God is going to do is not give us a final outcome. He's going to ask us to take steps of faith, small steps of faith. And you're saying, well, I want God to just lay out the whole plan. A lot of times you and I can't even handle the whole plan. I want God to give me all 27 steps. And God God is not going to do that necessarily. He's not going to reveal the outcome, the final outcome early. He's going to ask us to take small steps of faith. Please hear me when I say this. You and I are not responsible for the outcome. You and I are responsible for obedience. Can I say that again? You and I are not responsible for the outcome. You and I are responsible simply for obedience. God, I want you to give me a whole, how it's all going to turn out. God says, I'm not going to do that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take small steps of faith. Can I ask you, what have you attempted to do for God? Or what do you sense God wants you to do? Maybe you have been sensing for some times that there's something that God wants you to do that's going to glorify His name, that's going to advance His purposes in the world, that's going to help your life to be a better, richer, deeper, fuller life, that you're going to be used by God to bless other people, and you just say, well, God, I haven't started yet. Or maybe you started at some point in the past, and you brought it to an abrupt end, just like the people did. 50,000 of them went back to Jerusalem, but put down the work of God for 14 years. God was using Haggai to call them back, call them back, call them back to just their top devotion and allegiance being to him. God had plans to bless them like God has plans to bless you and me. But God wants to be first. So what do you sense that God is asking you to do? And you've never started it. Maybe you started it and you haven't stopped. Hey, guess what God would say? Just as he did through a prophet 2,500 years ago. It's now time to get back to work. Get back to doing what God wants you to do. Get back to work. And you're not doing it in your power. You're doing it in the power of God. If God asks you to do something, He's going to equip you. He's going to give you everything that you need to do. Listen, listen. Do what you can do and do only what you can do. And then step back and watch God do what only God can do. God's not going to hold you and I responsible for what He can do. We do what we can do, and then we step back and we watch the power and the authority of God as God does what only God can do. So can I give you a word of encouragement as we wrap this up? What do you sense God is wanting you to do, or what do you sense God is leading you to do again because you started and then you stopped? Here's what I'm asking you to do, because I believe it would be pleasing to the Lord if you and I would do this. Stop talking about it. Stop talking about what we're going to do. Stop talking about it. Stop thinking about it. One day, one day, one day, when everything, when all of the circumstances are right, when there's no discouragement, when there's no opposition, when there's no problems, if you wait until that happens, you're never going to do what God is asking you to do. It's time to get to work. It's time to do. So stop talking about it all the time. Stop thinking about it all the time. Can I just say, listen, I hope you understand. Stop praying about it. And just do it. You say, well, you know, can we do that? I mean, think about the supernatural deliverance of the Apostle Peter from jail. That is a humorous story. If you think the Bible is not an interesting book, you've not read it yet. And here, here the Apostle Peter is in prison, and God supernaturally delivers him, and he shows up, and he knocks on the door. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus, and he's knocking on the door, and he's like, let me in, let me in, let me in. I've been supernaturally delivered from prison, and, and they don't believe it's him. And they're, guess what they're doing? They're praying. They're praying for His release. They're in the back room, and they're praying for His release. And God had already done it. And they couldn't even believe that God had done what they had been praying about. Does that happen, ever happen to you? It's happened to me a million times. God's not going to reveal the outcome to you when He asks you to do something. He's going to ask you to take small steps of faith. Go up into the mountains. Bring down the temple. And build my house. Make me the priority in your life again. Can I just say this to you as we close? Please hear me. If you are not yet a Christian, maybe you just feel in your life right now. There's got to be something more. I just feel hollow. I feel empty. And there's a reason why. There's a God-shaped void in your life if you're not in relationship with God. There's a hole in your life. Can I say it this way? There's a hole in your life that only God can fill. You're not going to be able to fill it through work. You're not going to be able to fill it through pleasure. You're not going to be able to feel that God-shaped void through a relationship or through some drug or through some habit or some addiction. It's, no, that's a place that only God can fill. And deep in your heart, you know that there's something so much more. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And I hope that you will receive Jesus as the Savior and the leader of your life and allow Him to fill that place, that emptiness in your life. And you know what I'm talking about because you feel that, a place that only God can fill. And God loves you. Yeah, you deserve what I deserve, to be blasted, to be done away with. But our God is a God of love and mercy and grace. That's why He sent Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can freely come into His family. And I'm going to pray that that will happen. For those of you that are already Christians, And you sense God wants you to be obedient. You're not responsible for the outcome. Just be responsible for the obedience. I want God to show it all to me. Well, God's probably not going to do that. But whatever God's asking you to do, just take small steps of faith. And the further you get down the road, the more that God is going to reveal to you. I'm so glad that you have joined me for part one of this series. Whatever you do, don't miss next week. You'll be so glad. In fact, in advance, go ahead and let your friends and family know. You can't miss next week. I want to pray for you today. Lord, I pray for every person right now that is not in relationship with you, that they would just say, even right now, they'll just pray this in their heart or their mind. Maybe they can't even pray it out loud. Maybe they don't even want to pray it out loud, and that's okay. But in their heart and their mind, they would say, Jesus, come and fill this empty space in my life. I know that there's something more. I've tried so many things and I still feel empty. I still feel hollow. I I still feel unsatisfied. I know there's more and you're the more that is missing from my life. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I invite you to come into my life. I invite you to forgive me of all the wrong that is in me. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. Thank you for receiving me into your family. In Jesus' name, and then God, for every Christian, would just say, I'm trying to do something that God wants me to do, but i faced opposition. i faced pushback. I have faced discouragement. That God, they would do as you instructed people to do 2,500 years ago, to get back up and get to Word and go in your power and in your name. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, everybody. See you right back here next week.